The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud voice and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatag, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hatag went out to the Mordecai in the open square in this, of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him, all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg for favor for his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And when Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said, then Esther spoke to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days." And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. He may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers over by the kids' zones. Thanks, Molly. So we're ages fifth through, uh, excuse me, kindergarten through fifth grade. If you'd like, it's right back there as Molly was pointing, and there is a age-appropriate children's message for them and some activities. But again, your kiddos are always welcome to stay with you and worship. Just one more note before we dive in: uh, as we uh, are a young church. It's just about a year and a half old. Uh, I still want you to be in the habit of being bringers. That means I want you to invite your friends and your colleagues and your neighbors to church. One of the most profound things we notice about this culture 
of believers and unbelievers is, is that there are so many people who used to claim Christ or still claim Christ, but are just so burned by the church that they don't want to come back. And often, you can walk alongside them and love them well and invite them to come and join and to be a part of what we're doing. And so I just encourage you to continue to be a bringer of those in your world to church. And I promise that we'll be very careful as we love your friends and family and neighbors and coworkers that you bring. Now to the text. This text is um, difficult for a couple of reasons. One of the main reasons this te- text is difficult is because we have... If you know this story from being a child, there's a sense in which you think this is the heroic moment of Mordecai and Esther. This is where these two uh, faithful Jews stand up for their people and do something bold and heroic. And that element is in there for sure. But I want you to see in particular how mixed in their motives, how fearful how misguided they are. And I say that to you not to ruin heroes of yours for the Bible, but just to remind you that they're like almost everyone else in the Bible, that they are sinners while God is calling them to be at work for the kingdom. And I think that applies to you and to me because it it feels as if we have to have everything together, all of the serious sins dealt with, all of the good habits put in place, and once we're finally pretty good, then God can put us to work. And I want to encourage you that that's not true. Most of the time, God puts serious difficulties or struggles in the path of His people in order that they might be ready to serve Him. A.W. Tozer once said this, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly or use a man greatly until He has hurt him deeply. God actually rises up storms of conflict in relationships at times in order to accomplish the deeper work in our character. We cannot love our enemies in our own strength. Tozer says this is graduate level grace. Are you willing to enter this school? Are you willing to take the test? If you pass, you can expect to be elevated to a new level in the kingdom. For He brings us through these tests as a preparation for greater use in the kingdom. You must pass the first test. For you, the very thing in the center of your life that is causing you the most struggle, that you are convinced if God just knew, He would have taken it away right away, maybe the very thing God put there on purpose to reveal to you greater grace. Let's pray and study God's Word together. Lord, would You have mercy on me, a sinner. It's hard for us to imagine that You want to use us broken as we are, full of mixed motives, full of compromise, that You'd still use us for Your kingdom. We ask that You would minister grace to those who are wounded and suffering, who think they possibly couldn't be used by God, that You would lift their chin this morning. For those who don't yet know your Son, Jesus, we ask that you administer by your Holy Spirit to their deepest pain. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
There's a movie from a long time ago that was very good with Tom Hanks called Forrest Gump. The premise of Forrest Gump is that this uh, simple Alabama boy who speaks slowly and has difficulty with using his legs ends up with this incredible life. These fortunate things keep happening to him over and over again. One of the instances we see in Forrest's life is that he goes off to war and he has Lieutenant Dan. And even though they get pinned down and many of their men and their friends are being killed, Forrest Gump saves so many of his troops and carries them back. He even saves Lieutenant Dan, who's going to end up losing his legs. And because of losing his legs at war and because of the country and because of his disillusionment, he ends up so angry and bitter and resentful. But he ultimately has no place to go, and so he ends up partnering with Forrest on Bubba Gump Shrimp. And Bubba Gump Shrimp, they're trying to do shrimping. They're trying to gather up all of these creatures and make millions doing it, and yet they over and over again can't catch a single shrimp. They can't trap them. At one point, Forrest says, as they're emptying their empty net for the third time, he says, no shrimp. I'm going to try and do the Forrest voice. Forgive me, okay? No shrimp. Lieutenant Dan angrily says, well, maybe you should just pray. Forrest says, so I went to church every Sunday. Sometimes Lieutenant Dan came too. But I think he left the praying up to me. In the next scene, it shows them dropping the net. No shrimp. And Lieutenant Dan says this, Where the heck is your God? And Forrest says, It's funny Lieutenant Dan said that because right then, God showed up. And these storms start crashing on the boat. And Forrest gets really scared. But not Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan climbs his way the ropes using just his arm strength all the way to the top of the boat as this lightning and thunder is coming down on him. And he's yelling at God and he says, you'll never take me alive. You call this a storm. It's time for a showdown. You versus me. The next scene we see that the sun has broken through and a reporter says this, yesterday destroying nearly everything in its path. In fact, it destroyed every boat except for one. Only one shrimping boat actually survived the storm. Later on, it shows Lieutenant Dan swimming under the same sky. And Forrest says this, he never actually said so. But I think he made his peace with God. The reason that I tell you that story is I think we hear stories like that and think, oh, he's going to get in so much trouble for talking to God like that. Oh, he's going to get in so much trouble. You're supposed to think right and talk right and feel right. You're supposed to not think difficult thoughts about God. And yet what we see in this text is that's exactly what God's people do. That's exactly what Mordecai does. Is that as the world is falling apart, the right response is to live and to lament. Not to theologically make peace with it. 
That's when we hurt each other. Oh, that Romans 8, 28. We, we hit each other over the head with that, that God works in, good, in all things for the good of those who love Him, and that is true, but that is not often what people need to hear when they're in crisis. They need to be reminded of the love of God as well. And God actually frees us in the Bible to lament. So here's the thing, here's the difference. One of my mentors explained the difference. A complaint is when you're taking your frustrations and your pain and your tears and you're talking about God. Lament is when you're taking your pain and tears and frustrations and you're talking to God. And it's an important difference. In Scripture, they get in trouble for complaining about God. They're modeled as good behavior for lamenting. They lament. In this story, the Jews are under attack. It could be easy for us to say it's it's a little disconnected. It's not going to be that way for us. But if we're honest, and I want you to hear this, God's people are always going to be under attack. Living in this world will always be particularly difficult for Christians. Jesus says this in the New Testament, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. I think we need to be reminded of that, that though we don't experience the same things Esther and Mordecai did, that we as God's people, things are not going to add up. They're not going to come together beautifully. It's not all going to make sense. It's not all going to fall into place. And the reason that I tell you that is because most of us wait and work and pray so that we could just have the right job and just enough money and our kids could go to just the right schools and they could become just the right kind of people and then we could retire in just the right kind of way and that this world would make sense. And as one of my mentors says, following Jesus never leads, never leads to a neat and manageable life. Following Jesus never leads to a neat and manageable life. You hear these quotes all over the Old Testament. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? This world isn't your home. You're still supposed to learn to love and to trust God in the middle of it but please stop expecting it to feel like home. The world hates Jesus, it's going to hate us too. We should not feel that comfortable here, even though we so desperately want to, I so desperately want to. So we adjust our expectations that we were always going to have difficulty. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. And then we lament. We lament like Lieutenant Dan. We take the gloves off and we say, I don't get it, God. You say that you're good and all-powerful. Well, this feels out of control and not good. How can both of those things be true? And that feels scary to say to God. But let me show you just, just the slightest subtlety of how that's actually real faith. What you're saying is, is that I believe that you're good. I believe that you can change my circumstances. And that doesn't line up with what I'm experiencing. So you address it, God. You fix me. You fix this situation. You move. 
You would never come to me and say, Jared, I'm blaming you because we can't have a baby. Jared, I'm blaming you because we uh, are struggling in our marriage. Jared, I'm blaming you because I lost my job. You would never do that. You know why? Because you know in your heart there is nothing I can do to prevent you from marriage struggles or losing a baby or losing a job. So the very fact that you would take it to God says, you're the one who can fix this. And furthermore, you're the one with the character who doesn't want me to despair. You see, lament is exactly what Mordecai does. It's exactly what the people of God do later in this text. To live in this world, we adjust our expectations that it's not going to be neat and manageable. That it's not always going to make sense. And we lament. We take our difficult disappointments and we take them straight to God. So we live in lament with adjusted expectations. And then we choose our motives. We call to choose sides and examine our motives. Look again with me in the text, please. Verse 4. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatrach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered for him to go to Mordecai to learn why and what this was. Hatrach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city, the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Esther is so disconnected from her life as one of the Jews, as one of God's people, she doesn't even know that a national edict has gone out to destroy her people. She is so compromised, so isolated from living as one of God's own that she doesn't even know what's happening. And Mordecai, I know it's hard to see in the text, he's so compromised because he goes to Esther to go to the king to fix it. His first thing is not this deep sense of repentance, him and God taking the gloves off, but is to go and get the attention of Esther so that she will get the attention of the king. Remember, he's done this before. I go to Esther, Esther goes to the king, the king saves, and the people are okay. And he thinks, I know how you get something done in this world. You get Esther's attention, and she gets the king's attention. And Esther doesn't even know. She doesn't even know. She's so lost in her life as a Persian. She doesn't even know what's happening to God's people in the whole world. And we can be like that. We can be so lost in our life in, as Americans. So lost in our life as people seeking comfort. So lost in our life as just human beings. That we're not even connected to the kingdom. We're not even connected to the people in this church. If you don't know about anyone's pain in this church, their deep personal pain, you need to get more connected. We're doing something wrong if we don't know already when the struggles, when the fears, when the difficulties surface. If, we, if you don't know about any, then you need to get closer to us and we need to get closer to you. We shouldn't be so at home in our lives here that we're missing out on the pain of the people in the kingdom or in our church in particular. 
She has to choose sides. Is she a Persian or is she an Israelite? Now, to be fair to her, the last time a queen broke protocol, remember what happened? She got fired and exiled. So she does have very real reason for being afraid. But Mordecai looks at her and says, don't think you're going to escape this. You have to make a choice. You can't say this isn't your problem. You can't say God's people aren't my problem. And again, we know what this is like to be morally compromised people. Esther doesn't even know about the news. Mordecai puts it on Esther instead of God to be the king's hope. We have to choose where our loyalties lie. And God can use us even broken as we are. It's one of the most profound things I want you to see in the text. Esther is not a perfect hero and Mordecai is far from it. These are people who are broken and sinful and confused. He reminds her that she may not escape, so she can't be selfish. And I think there's a sense in each one of you, if we ask you to be a Bible study leader or a women's Bible study leader or a men's Bible study leader, a city group leader, if we ask you to serve in the church in one capacity or another, the first thing you'll think is, I'm not qualified to do that. You see, you have to be more qualified before you can use by God. And you wouldn't say it just like that, but you'd be like, I don't think I'm who you're looking for. There's a time that as an intern at Lookout Prez, I had to preach Philippians 2, and it's this passage which is all about the humility of Jesus. And that summer, I had been chosen as Joe's intern, which is sort of like being uh, Tim Keller's intern. I mean, it's a big deal. And then I had to walk up and preach to God's people about the humility of Jesus. And before I did in the chapel, which is where I was preaching, I sat in the sanctuary in the dark and I was just crying, knowing I have to preach about my humble Savior. And I am so proud of myself for having this job. And Joe heard me from Narthex and he came in and he put his hand on my back and he said, Jared, Jesus is always using crooked sticks to draw straight lines. That's not going to go away. Where do you need to step up and serve Jesus even though you're still a sinner? Even though you still have mixed motives? She's bolstered in the sovereignty of God. Or sorry, Mordecai at least gets it right that he's bolstered in the sovereignty of God. Mordecai says, if you don't do this, the solution will come from somewhere else. One of the commentators said this, the danger to be avoided is thinking herself essential, even indispensable. This is talking about Esther. Isn't that a real temptation we sometimes face? We either avoid our duty using God's sovereignty as a justification, meaning God will find someone else to do it. Or we step up to our obligations, and if we're not careful, we begin to minimize our dependence on the Lord, thinking ourselves to be the one vital cog in the machine, the indispensable component in God's plan. And he says, you have to trust in faith that God has called you to act and trust in faith that God could replace you if he desired to. It's the humility of knowing that you're replaceable, but the call to action to know that God has a plan for your life. 
Esther went into the throne room reluctantly and under pressure. Jesus went into the place of speaking up for God's people boldly. Esther went into the throne room and received the scepter of acceptance. Jesus went into the throne room and received the full cup of God's wrath. We have a better Esther in Jesus. And lastly, you have to choose self or sacrifice. Did you hear the words in there? He says, who knows? In verse 14, you keep silent at this time. Relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? What if God brought you here, Esther, on purpose? That horrible beauty contest was five or six years ago. Esther reads quickly, but it was a long time ago. And Mordecai saying, what if God brought you here for just this thing? The drunken king happens to throw a party. His queen happens to disobey. Esther and Mordecai happen to be Jews. Mordecai happens to be nearby. Esther happens to be an absolute beauty. Esther happens to be viewed fondly by others. Mordecai happens to hear the plot to kill the king and happens to have a cousin near enough to the king to warn him. Mordecai happens to be overlooked for his good deed. The story reads like, how could you possibly think all of this was a coincidence to bring us to this moment? And we're supposed to look at our lives in the same way. That the things that just happen to have happened to us are actually part of God's plan for us and that the wounds He gives us often are the very wounds He wants us to minister through. Now hear me say two things. When you are comforting someone who is hurting and for someone who is limping right in the middle of the thing, do not say to them, I can't imagine how God is going to use this in the future. That's true, but they don't need to hear it right then. But sure enough, watch closely as you see God give someone a wound or a struggle that over the coming years, God, even before that person is ready to start loving on people who bear that same burden, He'll start nudging them towards them. You just happened to be divorced after what happened to be a brutal marriage and then happened to encounter a new friend who's walking through a divorce. You just happened to not have a baby happened to have to walk through that dream and your life being crushed and then happened to minister to others who struggle with infertility. God wounds us and then takes those wounds and ministers powerfully through them when He's ready. Remember when Jacob wrestled with the Lord? The Lord gave him a limp and changed his heart. Remember when Moses said, I can't speak good. And God said to Moses, I'm going to have you introduce God's law to the people. I'm going to have you be my mouthpiece. Johnny Erickson Tata says this, Deny your weaknesses, and you will never realize God's strength in you. Deny your weaknesses, and you will never realize God's strength in you. What if you move forward? What if you move forward in faith as Esther does? It says, if I die, I die. If I get embarrassed, I get embarrassed. If I lose out, I lose out. But I am going to trust that God works and moves through my difficulties and my imperfections to bring His kingdom to bear. As many of you know, Ben Hooper, 
our gifted pastor here, he 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 had received a diagnosis of cancer when he was still in college, and when he was getting ready to get married, and then when he came on staff at Lookout Prez, and he and AC had to walk through the brutal nature of him going through radiation and chemotherapy and all of these horrible things, and his hair had to fall out, and it was just this desperate time for Ben, our own Ben, to try and survive and try and hold together his faith. And he said it was such a rich time because he was just so dependent upon the Lord for everything. He couldn't do anything as on his own. And then ultimately, Ben's cancer was cured. And he came to a session meeting one night, and he was reporting about his cancer. And he said, you know, at least when I had cancer, I prayed. At least when I had cancer, I had some sense that I needed God in my life. And now here I am all better. And he said, I miss my cancer. The point is, is taking the very things which you think are so difficult, so excruciating, so ugly in your life, and realizing just maybe such a time as this, God has put it there for you to learn dependence upon the Lord, and then ultimately to be used by God in His timing. What if there's something for such a time as this in your life? You're not ready for it yet, and you didn't ask for it. In fact, it's kind of being pushed from the outside, just like it was for Esther and Mordecai. But you realize there's a way in which you need to step forward. You need to put sacrifice instead of self. And you need to say, maybe God has prepared me for such a time as this. That is certainly what Jesus did. At just the right time, He comes and runs towards the sword instead of towards the scepter of grace. We are freed because of what Jesus has done to look for the areas in our life of weakness so that we can learn dependence on God and learn eventually to bless others through those things. Let's pray. Father, we're often scared to lament because we think we won't say the right words. We're scared to tell you how we really feel and what we really think. We pray that you would free the people in this room to be honest with you as you have called us and freed us to do so. And I pray that you would examine our mixed motives, our tattered holiness, And pray that instead of resenting You for the wounds that You've given us, You would cause us to learn dependence upon You. You would cause us to learn the ways in which You've called us to such a time as this. Would You minister Your grace to these people? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.